open all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to his people on earth. Lord of heaven and Oh. 
A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to become quite popular for people to go and find out who they are, their genealogy. And we have Ancestry.com, 23andMe, because people want to know who they are. And that's precisely what Jesus is asking the disciples today. Who do you think I am? What do people say about me? And those are the things we often want to know. What's our reputation? Are people liking me or not liking me? Does this guy love me or this girl not love me? But it also has to do with the Gospel of Matthew. And what Matthew is telling the people in the, the overarching theme of his Gospel is that the Christian church is superior to the Jewish temple. Now we know that's not true. Let me say that right up front. There is room for everyone in God's canopy. But when a religion is fledging and wanting to stake its claim in the world, they have to find a way to say they're better than everyone. So Matthew is giving people a way to understand that their interpretation of the post-resurrection story is more satisfying than what was told. And Matthew also talks about Jesus saying that he taught in their synagogues. He went into their cities, which meant that he was going into Jewish territory. So therefore, the people should pay attention to what Matthew was saying as followers of the risen Christ, that the Jewish faith is the old way of being. And the post-resurrection religion is the new way of thinking. These are all hard concepts, especially today when we know that anti-Semitism is so rife in our world. And as I said, we know that there's a big canopy, that God loves everyone. There's no one or no religion that is left out. But Matthew had to say what was he was about so that people would continue to follow the risen Christ. He's trying to legitimize the church in numerous ways. And one of the ways he does that is when he goes to Caesarea and Philippi. Now, remember, if anything is pointed out in the Bible, a name, a place, it means something. We have a tendency to read over these, these names and places and just think of them as names and places. But Caesarea Philippi was all about Caesar. So by Jesus going to Caesarea Philippi, he was telling 
Caesar and the Roman Empire that he was king and lord of all. Because when, when Caesar was made emperor, he was looked upon as being the son of God. And Jesus is claiming that for himself, and rightly so. Also, when... Sorry, I'm looking at my notes, and that's not like me, I know. <laughs> and we get, when we get caught up, though, in analyzing these passages, what does Caesarea Philippi mean? What is who do you think that I am mean? We're thinking about in a post-enlightenment world. And back in Matthew's time, there was no post-enlightenment. People didn't criticize the Bible. And I don't mean criticize by finding fault. I mean looking at it for all the different ways that it's written. Historic criticism is one of the ways that historians look to get behind what is actually happening. Hence, we arrive at Caesarea Philippi. Hence, we find that Jesus comes from the lineage of Abraham and David. And when we get caught up in that, we lose the whole meaning of the passage. When we take a passage apart and parse out each and every little word, it begins to lose meaning. And we begin to lose how we feel about the Bible. It merely becomes another thing that we can take apart and look at, not as Christians, but as critics. And the Jesus Seminar was one of those places where critics got, historians and theologians all got together and they sat at a big table and they had different colored beads for whether or not they believed what Jesus said. So the saying, who do you say I am? They might assign a red bead saying, yes, that's what he said. Or a pink bead, well, he may have said it, but we don't know. Or a white bead that says, no, he didn't say it at all. Well, at the end of that, all I think you have is a lovely necklace. You don't have the scriptures opened up for you and you don't have the ability to just be in the Bible. If we have to take all of our thoughts and feelings and put them in a way that takes away the wonder from the world, we lose our ability as human beings to find joy, to find comfort, to find peace in the words that Jesus has said. And we also lose the ability to see how Jesus wanted to change the world Jesus also calls us to action. John Pavlovitz wrote a book called Heroes, Superheroes, and Hope and Other Superpowers. And in the book, he takes each superpower that he thinks is assigned to a comic book character. There's hope, humility, compassion, caring. And he has a laundry list in the book, and then he breaks it down as how Christians can use comic book characters to find new meaning in life. Now, I know it's not for everyone, but it's an interesting way to look at who we are as human beings. And who do we follow? For the chapter on wonder, which I focused on in my sermon, he used Peter Parker, who was also Spider-Man. Because he said that when Spider-Man 
When Peter Parker became Spider-Man, he was able to lose all sense of who he was and embrace the wonder of being able to fly across buildings and make a web with his hands. I don't know, I've never seen the movie. <laughs> I heard it's pretty good. But he also says that when we lose, Pavlovitz also says that when we lose our sense of wonder, we allow cynicism to creep into our lives. And everything just becomes one more thing to look with jaded eyes at. He tells us that we need to recapture wonder for who we are and who we hope to be. Now his father was a shoe, owned a shoe store in Syracuse. And Pavlovitz writes that when he was about 13 years old and he didn't believe in Santa Claus anymore, which most people don't by then, um, his dad said to him, there was, Santa Claus was coming down the street. And he bellowed into the back at John, stay, Santa's coming. To which John, being a 13-year-old boy, was aghast. He was furious at his father for making him seem foolish and, and treating him like a baby, he said. So he went into the back of the shoe store and he hid in a box, thinking that the man wouldn't come, the man who was Santa Claus, wouldn't come back to find him. Well, he heard the footsteps coming up to the box and he thought to himself, oh crud, here he is. And Santa Claus opened up the box and said to him, and I quote, I know you don't believe in Santa, and that's okay. You don't have to. You can just believe you have parents who adore you and want to give you everything that you ask for and want the best for you, to feel loved and give you wonderful things. He wrote that that was good enough to believe right away. When we suspend our need for wonder and all that is in the beauty of our world, we also cut out so much of our lives. When we walk around, and it's not e it's easy these days, when we walk around with cynical eyes rather than open eyes, when we walk around with a clenched fist instead of an open hand, we can understand how wonder suddenly evaporates. And what do we become? We come, become shells of human beings. We're not really people anymore. We're just bodies that interact with others. Wonder lets us entertain all that we are and all that we can be. It lets us think big and dream dreams. It lets us put aside petty differences and see the person standing in front of us as another human being. For some, I know it seems that Christians tilt at windmills. We have this pie in the sky, hidey high view of life. But that's not true. Christians see the world, the good and the bad, the beauty and the ugliness. But we're willing to work through the ugliness to get to the beauty. We're willing to right the wrongs of society so that we can make a better world. When Jesus said, who do you say that I am? The disciples didn't respond with, 
Well, I don't know. I mean, let me go check with somebody first. He, they said, you are the son of the living God. We profess that every Sunday. We follow a living God. We follow a living Savior. We emulate his compassion, his love, his empathy, and we also embrace his need to prod us to change and be better. It doesn't mean that we're less than because we believe in what the Bible says about justice and poverty and truth, but rather that we are willing to work through those difficult issues and embrace the wonder of what is to be. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, 
that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, give us all the reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to honor to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy, comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit, especially Dan, Ella, Jessica, Kristen, Lisa, Mary, Marianne, Mike and family, Nancy, Pat, Rich, Ruth, Scott, Stephen, Walt, and all people in shelter care ministry programs. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, we commend to your mercy all who have died, especially Oscar and Jennifer, that your, your will for them may be fulfilled. And we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, we rejoice with those who are celebrating birthdays, especially Sydney, Summer, John, Ron, Mel, and those celebrating anniversaries, especially Julia and Brad. Lord, in your mercy, your intercessions and thanksgivings, offered aloud or silently, are welcome at this time. prayers of your people and the multitude of your mercies. Look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, O lover of souls, and to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your worship and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. 